Good afternoon. I'm thankful that you've made it back for a little more study of God's Word with me this afternoon. We're going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is going to be a little bit of a follow-up on what we talked about this morning when uh, the Apostle Paul picks up in the middle of one of his books and he is going to begin with the word therefore and he's going to start talking about what is therefore in Ephesians. He's been talking about our, our salvation through Jesus Christ. That seemed to be a common theme in the writing of the Apostle Paul because it mattered to him. It saved him from what he was involved in as a Pharisee and the life of despair and, and agony that that would bring to somebody seeking a spiritual answer to life's problems. And he knew that that came in Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, this is going to sound very similar the first few words here to where we started this morning. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. I'll pull that down just a little bit. Walk worthy of the vocation. He starts out and he says, I beseech you. Remember what beseech means? It means I beg you. He says, therefore, because of what we've just been talking about, I beg you to walk worthy of the vocation that you've been called to walk in. Now, to start with, that gives us trouble with a lot of religious people because a lot of religious people go, well, we're not worthy. We can't be worthy. We shouldn't. There's no way we can walk worthy. But Paul said, walk worthy. Now, I understand we're not worthy of the blood of Christ. The Scriptures teach that plainly. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the way we walk, not whether or not we are worthy but he's talking about walk in a worthy manner. What does that mean? He says, walk in a manner that's fitting the vocation that you've been called to walk in. We talked a little bit about that this morning. Your vocation, your job, you are a child of the living God. Now, Many of you know my son, but if you don't, he's planning to come toward the end of this week with his mother, and you will know my son, because he, he makes noise wherever he goes. His name is Jacob, he is 12 years old, almost 13, and every time Jacob goes with me somewhere, we, when we get there, before we get out of the car, we have what we call the talk. Y'all know what I mean by that? <laughs> we have the talk. And he goes, I know, I know. Do you know why I have that talk with him? Because he's my son. And what he does reflects on me. Now, I'd like your kids to behave, but I don't have the talk with your kids. Because if they look, act bad, that looks bad on you, not me. But my son, what he does reflects on his father. On me. You are a child of God. What you do reflects on God. You know, I've done a lot of door knocking in my day and a lot of Bible studies with people. I've never had anybody tell me, you know what, I'm not going to come to church because I know a guy at work and he's a drunk and he doesn't believe in God, so I'm not coming to church. 
I've never heard that. You know what I have heard? I'm not coming down there. I work with a guy who goes to church down there. And he's a hypocrite. I've heard that. The things you do as a child of God reflect on God. And that's why he says, because of who you are, you have to live a different way. Now, I want to jump down in chapter 4 here, all the way down to, uh, let's start in verse 21. And he's going to start giving us some specific practical things here. Verse 21. He says, If so be that you have learned Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, he starts there and he says that I want you to put off the old man and put on the new man. Now, the idea here is that of changing clothes. Jackson, who's tra- there he is. Jackson, who's traveling with me, called me last night. And uh, he came to my house. We were going to get on an airplane early this morning to fly here. And Jackson called and he said, uh, Brother McCorkle, are you going to wear your church clothes on the airplane or are we going to change after we get there? And I said, well, knowing airplanes, we probably better wear our church clothes because we might be showing up late. You see, we all understand what it means to change our clothing, right? That's the idea that Paul's talking here. You put off one thing and you put on something else. And he said, you used to wear the clothes of the old man. That means you used to be a certain way. The word conversation here means behavior. He says your former behavior, it was corrupt. Let me ask you a question. Was your former behavior corrupt? You might go, well, I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in the church. And I know by that we mean going to church, you know. I know. Was your former behavior corrupt? You know it was. Just like mine was. Every one of us had corrupt behavior. He says, I want you to put that off and I want you to put on a new man which is created after Christ in true holiness. Now you noticed that phrase in there if you were paying attention where he said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind like we talked about this morning. And what I want to focus on now are some of the particular things that Paul says, you know what, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where you know that you're acting like God wants you to act. Verse 25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Do you lie? Do you tell people things that aren't true? I hope you don't. It's not the way God wants His people to be. I know you used to lie. But God wants you to tell the truth now. God wants everything that comes out of your mouth to be true. Because that's the way Christians are. 
That's the way Jesus Christ was, and we're to be like Christ. He says, because you're members one of another. You know, the members of my body, you're familiar with the fact probably that the Bible compares the church to a body, and every member of the church is a different part of that body. If parts of the church are lying to other parts of the church, that's a problem, isn't it? If parts of my body start lying to other parts of my body, if I'm walking down the aisle and this leg tells the rest of my body that it moved forward when it really didn't, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to fall on my nose. The church the same way. Somebody says, now preacher, I wouldn't tell a big black ugly lie. I can't believe you'd think that of me. Oh, I don't think you'd tell a big black ugly lie. Little white lie, exaggeration, half-truths. Anything that's not true is a violation of this. I had a teacher in school that told our class she never lied to her parents. Now, we knew better than that because everybody has lied to their parents, right? She said, I never lied to my daddy. We began to challenge her about that. She said, well, a lot of times I didn't tell the truth but I never lied. Well, that doesn't make sense. How can you do that? She said, well, for instance, one time, Dad told me I could take the car if I didn't go to this neighboring town and go to a club that was in this neighboring town. But that's where we wanted to go. So I took the car and I went to my friend's house and back a long time ago, the old-timey cars, you could disconnect the odometer cable. And so my friend unscrewed the odometer cable and we went to the town and went to the club, and then we went back to my friend's house and reconnected the odometer cable, and I went home. And my dad said, where'd you go tonight? And I said, well, I went to my friend's house. Well, she did. Was she lying? You're right, young man. (laughs) She was lying. Because she was intentionally deceiving her father. Even though what she said was technically true, she was deceiving her father. Now, for you as a Christian, don't deceive people. Don't say things that aren't really accurately true. I mean, tell the truth. Make sure that it's really, not just technically true, but conveys the actual idea that needs to be conveyed. That's what the new person does. The old person is the person that would tell the technical truth or exaggerate or leave out details. And that's not what God wants us to do. He goes ahead in the next verse now. And he says this, verse 26, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Did you know it's not sin to get angry? It's not sinful. God got angry, didn't He? He got angry enough, He opened the earth and swallowed up thousands of people back when they were worshiping a golden cow at the base of the mountain. It's not sin to be angry. Jesus got angry. Jesus took a whip into the temple grounds, threw over some tables, and chased people out of the temple with a whip. 
Jesus got angry. It's not sinful to be angry. Anger's just an emotion. Oh, but anger can be sinful. If you get angry for a selfish reason, that's sinful, isn't it? You get angry because you didn't get your way. You wanted to go eat a certain place and nobody else did, and so you're just in a bad mood now? <laughs> that's sinful. You know, there's two primary ways people mishandle anger that are sinful. Number one is people blow up when they get angry. You ever, nobody, buddy, like that? Well, I don't get it. You know, it takes me a long time to get mad, but when I do, I just blow and then it's over. Don't pat yourself on the back for that. Proverbs 29, verse 11 says, A wise or fool utters all his mind, but a wise man keeps it until afterward. Now, I know Dr. Phil will tell you you need to vent. That's not what God says. God says, if you utter all your mind, I'll give you a piece of my mind. God says you're a fool. You don't have a very big piece. You better hold on to it. <laughs> he says a wise man keeps it in till afterward. The other extreme that people go to where they sin with anger is they clam up. And that's really what he's talking about here in this particular context. He says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now that doesn't mean get mad right after sundown so you can stay mad 23 and a half hours. What that means is, don't hold your anger in. You know, if you hold anger in, it becomes what the Bible calls bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 says, Be careful lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. A root of bitterness is like a weed. And if you have bitterness growing in your heart, it's like a weed, and it will kill love in your heart and in your life. Have you ever known anybody who was old and bitter and angry about life? That's what he's talking about here. Don't get that way. Instead, deal with sin. He, in fact, he says here, if you do that, you know what you're doing? You're giving place to the devil. You're giving the devil territory in your heart and you're saying, move in. You know why? Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's what James said. Your wrath is not going to produce righteousness. You need to deal with problems as they come up. You know, you can't put a whole group of Christians together three times a week for years and somebody not get irritated at somebody else. <laughs> That's just going to happen. I'm here for a week. You may get irritated at me in less than a week. <laughs> I don't know. But you're going to get upset with each other. It just happens. Husbands and wives live in the same house. You're going to get upset because one of you is going to be rude sometime. You've got to deal with the problem. You've got to address the problem. And then let the anger go. He goes ahead in the next verse and says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. His principle here is don't you take anything that doesn't belong to you. Don't take it. My dad always told me, don't even steal a straight pin. You know what a straight pin is? It's just a little 
pen. Don't even take a straight pen if it's not yours. I might think, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. It's just a little straight pen. But it's not yours. Whose straight pen is it? Well, I don't know, but it's not yours, is it? So don't take it. Have you ever stolen anything? You ever taken anything that wasn't yours? Well, preacher, I wouldn't take a gun down to the 7-Eleven or Allsup's or whatever it is you all have out here and stick it in that guy's face and say, give me your money. Now, I don't think you would, but there's a lot of ways we steal. A lot of ways people take things that aren't theirs that don't involve guns. Ever two of you eat off the buffet and only pay for one buffet? Well, I don't want a whole lot today. I'll just get a little bit. Well, you know, that's... that's. Ever download software or music that you didn't pay for? Well, now there's arguments that can be made for the legality of the... the, the yeah, yeah, I know. Are you really honest? You know, it's harmful to any body of believers when a part of that body of believers stands around like this all the time to everybody else. He says, don't take, but instead, you be the kind of person where you go out and you work and you earn enough to take care of your needs and so you've got a little bit more to give to somebody else. And so now you know what you are? You're a giver instead of a taker. And God wants you and me to be givers, not takers. Because the old man was a taker. The old man was looking for an angle. The old man always had a way to get something else. The new man's not to be that way. The new man is someone who's looking for an opportunity to be a giver instead of a taker. He goes right on. In verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What does that mean? Don't let corrupt communication come out of your mouth. What's corrupt? Well, he contrasts it with edifying. He says, don't speak corrupt, but speak edifying, right? What does edify mean? It means build up, right? That's what edify means. So what's corrupt mean? Tear down. So let me ask you a question. Do you tear people down with your lips? Do you use your mouth to tear down brothers and sisters in the Lord? Well, yeah, but you know what they did? They just. Well, if it's true, <laughs> right? Just because it's true doesn't mean it needs to be said. Earlier in this chapter, he says, speak the truth in love. A lot of things that are true are not necessarily loving. I may think that's an ugly dress, but I don't have to tell her. <laughs> you see? Because that's not loving. You need to speak the truth, but you need to speak it in a way that lifts people up. There's no worse cancer in a church than somebody that's gossiping and tearing down their brothers and sisters in the Lord. You ever had a workplace where you worked where somebody was a gossip and always cutting and needling and tearing? and It's a problem. It's a bad problem. It's a problem in America, isn't it? 
in America, it's a problem with people constantly running down everyone and everything they don't agree with. God says that's the way the old man acts. That's the way ungodliness is. That we run down and criticize and tear down and speak bad about other people. But that's not the way the Christian is. You see, Jesus didn't go around criticizing other people, tearing other people down. Jesus talked to other people about their sins. He definitely did that. Jesus talked about other people's sins in their presence at times when that was necessary. But Jesus didn't call Peter over to the side and go, Hey, Peter, have you noticed Andrew lately? (laughs) That guy is killing me. That's not what He said. That's not the way Jesus was. And that's not the way you and I as Christians need to be. Verse 30, He says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. You know what that just means? If you act like this old man, you're making God's Spirit sad, grieved. Those of you who have children, you know sometimes your kids do misbehave. And it grieves you when that happens, doesn't it? God doesn't want His children to misbehave. It grieves Him. Now then, the last two verses here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now he says this bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking, all this ugliness. He said, you just put that away from you. Just don't have it in you. Instead, you replace that with three things. You be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. What is that? You know what kindness is? Kindness is when you do nice things for people, right? It's when you hold the door open for somebody when they're going through. We recognize that, don't we? We appreciate that. You know, when I go into a convenience store and I hold the door open for somebody and they just walk through and don't express appreciation for that, I'll go, well, you're welcome. (laughs) We recognize kindness. And we want kindness to be recognized because that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be nice people. Be nice to other people who are around. Smile at people. That won't hurt you. Smile. Be friendly and kind to the people you're around. You know what? It just makes the world a better place. It makes life better for everyone. And of all the people on earth who have a reason to be joyful, which produces that kindness... It ought to be Christians, right? Really? He says, be kind. And then he says, be tender-hearted. Now that's a little different than kindness. Because you can be kind to people you're not tender-hearted toward. I can hold the door open for somebody that I don't like. My wife's family has a phrase they use. It's called nice nasty. You know what that is? That's when you're nice, but you don't feel like being nice. How are you today? I'd rather walk on the other side of the building, but I got caught here, so I have to shake your hand. So I'm going to be nice. 
Don't be nice, nasty. Be tender-hearted. You know, you can choose softness in your heart. You can do that. You can choose to think kind, soft thoughts toward other people. And we all understand what that is. Some of you have heard me illustrate it before with the story of when my daughter was young. But Jordan, when she was about a year old, we'd taken her to have her picture taken. And there was a little box of toys in the waiting room to keep the children happy while they were waiting to have their picture taken. And we got those toys, and they were little soft toys. And she would take them and stand about this far away, and she would throw the toys into the box and was amusing herself. We did that for a few minutes. And then another lady and her daughter, this big five or six-year-old kid came in. And she watched, and Jordan would take the toy and threw it in. She threw the first one. The little girl ran over there and grabbed that toy. And well, she needed a toy to play with. That was fine. And Jordan threw the next one, and the little girl came and got it. And the next one. And so it went until Jordan had just one little toy left. And Jordan looked at me, and she looked at the toy, and she looked at that little girl, and she looked at the box. She knows what's going to happen if she throws that toy. And after a few moments, that other little girl got tired of waiting for Jordan to throw the toy, so she just ran over and jerked it out of her hand and ran off. When she did, Jordan started crying, turned and ran to me. At that moment... My heart was filled with tenderness for my daughter. You know what I mean? You identify with that? At that moment, in my heart, for that other little girl and her mama, <laughs> was not tenderness. You know what I mean? Be tender hearted. Make yourself think good stuff about each other. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, we're going to do stuff each other doesn't like. Yeah, somebody's going to be more liberal than you are, or more conservative than you are, or, or more Democrat, or more Republican, or more this or that. The things that unite us in Christ are so much greater than the little things that divide us. So let's be tender-hearted. And the last thing he says in that list is be forgiving. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. You're going to have to forgive. Somebody is going to wrong you. Somebody in the body of Christ is going to wrong you. You're going to find out somebody's gossiped about you and they've said something mean. And it's going to hurt your feelings. It's going to happen, isn't it? What do you do? You forgive. And forgive means I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. We're not going to bring it up to you or other people. We're not going to stew on it in our own minds. We're going to forgive and we're going to move past that. How? As God, for Christ's sake, has also forgiven you. So you see, He's given us a picture of what He wants you and I to be. When we're to put on this new man. And realistically, that's different than the old guy was. The old guy wasn't always honest. The old guy didn't always give. Sometimes he took. The old guy was sometimes sinful with his anger. The old guy was sometimes 
vicious with his mouth and he said things and tore people. But the new man, the man after Jesus Christ isn't that way. And what I call you to do today, I beseech you, be the new man. Put on the new person. Just decide. We're fixing to have an invitation song. You don't have to step out in the aisle and walk up to the front and ask, ask for the church to pray for you about this. You know what you can do? You can decide right now. You know what, this week, I'm going to be a little more honest than I was. I'm going to build people up all week long and I'm not going to tear anybody down. I'm going to look for an opportunity to give this week instead of take. I'm going to be kind and I'm going to choose to have a soft, tender heart towards somebody that it's hard for me to have a soft, tender heart toward this week because that's what Jesus would have me do. And you can make that resolve. That's what I ask you to do now. If you do need the prayers or the help of the church in any way, we would be happy to help you if you'd make that need known while we stand and sing.